Hello and welcome to Prevailing Promises Podcast. I am Anna and this is our third episode. I had to think there for a second. Um, and today I am joined by Miss Erica. She's a friend of mine. Um, we attend church together. So just before we get started, for those that are listening for the first time, I do just want to remind you guys what we're doing here. The heart of Prevailing Promises is really just to encourage women um, by sharing stories of other women who have walked through trial and really seen kind of the triumph and some of them that may still be walking through pieces of their story. Um, but really our focus is to really put the emphasis on how God has provided throughout all of that and how he has remained sovereign and faithful. But before we get started, I'm just going to let Erica introduce herself. Hi, my name is Erica, Erica Carlson, and I have two boys, 9-11, and I'm currently married to a wonderful husband. Thank you. So what we're going to do, just kind of like some of the other episodes that you guys have listened to, um, I'm just going to let Erica tell her story. There's a lot to it that I do know, a lot that I don't. Um, we're just going to start out much like I do with some of the others. And, you know, how did you grow up? How Were you in the church? Was your family religious? Is that... My grandmother, who I'm, I currently re- live with right now, um, she's the one that kind of introduced me to the Christian church and walking with Jesus. And and from a very early age, she always told me that no matter what, Jesus would be with me, whatever I went through. And I really held on to that for quite a long time. Um, and my parents did go to church. My mom went with my grandma for a while, a few years, but then she, we kind of trailed off and they started, we moved and went to different churches and my mom was always unhappy with the church. So we never had one home church we went to. Mainly my church was the one uh, my grandma always, you know, served in and helped in and worked in eventually. So um, my stability in Christianity really was with her and not really my parents, although, you know, they proclaimed to be Christian. And then when I was about 12, my mom decided Christianity isn't for me. So she switched us all to Catholicism, which is drastically That's different. very interesting. Yes. <laughs> quite the jump. <laughs> it was quite the jump. Um, I tried with it. I had to do the things like catechism and confirmation and those are just classes that you have to take as a a young person and as a young adult and um but i really didn't like that i wasn't i was getting older and i wanted more jesus i wanted to learn more about the bible and with catholicism they just quote a few verses at you um they'll say where the verses are from but there's not an actual bible in the church um they only have a hymnal and that's it so um the priest gets the Bible, the priest, right? The priest okay. has the Bible. And I'm not super on. well-versed yeah, in Catholicism. No. But. Yeah, it's, um, you know, they do, when they do preach, it's called an homily, om, om, I think it is. And um, it's only for like 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the rest is just kind of routine. Yeah. So, and I didn't like that. Um, so I did end up, uh, that's why I left when I was 18, uh, to go live with my grandma so that I could, I could actually learn more about Jesus. Um, but when I met my ex, I walked away from Jesus, and that's uh, that's probably it. the next part <laughs> of her story. So, and, and I know you said you have two boys, and you were married previously, right? Do, yes. you, do you care to share any part of that? Or Yes. Um, I have two boys, uh, Atticus and Alistair. Atticus is 11, Alistair is 9. They'll be 12 
and uh, 10 this year, so I'll have no more children in the single digits anymore. So I'm sad <laughs> about step, that. Though. Yeah. Um, but those were with my ex. Um, we were together for about 12 years, but for like four, three or four years of that, it was very, very rocky. Um, so uh, we ended up divorcing, and mm-hmm. uh, but we have the boys and we co parent very Which well uh, we get along well awesome um, and the boys love their their uh stepdad so which is wonderful it's and awesome. i i met i met erica right as she was coming out of the divorce and then moving into these new phases of single parenting and then dating and <laughs> all of that kind of fun stuff and i think as some of you will know that's not necessarily the easiest path to walk um you know and all that transition but i think she handled it well um, now I've asked Erica a little bit about this and that she's been very open with sharing. Um, you have a past history with both addiction and mental illness, correct? Yes. And I will let you just kind of share whatever you're comfortable sharing. I think that that's probably going to be the bulk of, of, I don't want to say the bulk of what we're going to hit on today, but I think it's a, it's a large part of her story. And I think that there's a lot of women out there battling the same. Um, so I'd love to just have you share, like, how, how did you first I don't, I don't want to say discover your mental struggles, but obviously, you know, did it go hand in hand with the addiction? Is it something that was always there or? Um, well, buckle in your seatbelts. It's kind <laughs> of a bumpy ride. <laughs> it's going to go. Um, yeah, it's going to get pretty serious. Um, I didn't realize anything was even remotely wrong with me until about 2015, 2014, 2015, I became very unhappy with um, my marriage. I openly uh, expressed that I never even wanted children um, because I really didn't um, for most of my life. Until I met Kip, which was my ex, I wanted kids. But before that, even with uh, the ex before that, um, we didn't want kids or anything like that. Um, Joshua and I now don't want kids, but <laughs> we there's done. been a long history of kids, like not wanting kids, but I openly expressed that and sometimes it would be around them and I realized it was probably very hurtful, especially for my, my first son, my, um, oldest, but, um, I realized like at that time, 2015, I got suicidal, um, right close to home. There's this area where uh, you go around a lot of roundabouts, but if you look over these kind of bridge-like things, it goes far, far down, mm-hmm. um, probably a good 50 feet or more. Uh, one day, my ex caught me sitting on one of those because I was really considering just jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to live anymore at that point. I was not walking with Jesus at all. Um, I had no religion. I accident. I actually blasphemed completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize still that there was anything really mentally wrong with me at that point. Um, I just knew at that time, uh, you know, I didn't want to live anymore. You he didn't want to be me. here. Yes. Mm-hmm. He, he was actually driving around looking for me, caught me. He called an ambulance. Um, I tried to run for a little while, but they eventually caught up <laughs> with me. And um, I was taken into the hospital. Uh, I think it's called a 1013 or something like that, uh, where it's for suicide. And then mm-hmm. they immediately, from the hospital, send you to a mental illness kind of ward. Right. Um, so I was taken there, um, and that kind of started the the beginnings of realizing, uh-oh, something more is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 
I got through the hospital and everything, but I did it by just using words and manipulation right. like I was taught when I was a kid. And You um, knew what to say to get out of there. Yep, that's right. Yep. And, <laughs> and still, they didn't let me out for five days. And it was horrible. <laughs> I'd never been held against my will anywhere mm-hmm. in a real small space. They didn't allow certain things. <sighs> so definitely no razors. I couldn't even have the strings in my sweatpants right. or in my shoes. So um, it was very, very just locked down. And then they had like, that's scary when you're scary. when you're there even if you need to be it's a very almost unsettling experience and i know mental health does what they what they can and what they need to but having seen that you know from a parent's perspective or even you know the other things you it's it's a scary place to think of even being in or thinking of somebody you love being put into and really you have no con- control at that point um the family doesn't have much control the patient does really doesn't get much control and you just have to trust the system and like erica said if you know the right words to say it's pretty easy to get your way through this through the system right and that's that's exactly right and um but my wordiness did not save me um my spiral got worse and worse and worse um i started uh drinking pretty heavily um but it was mainly like wine and stuff like that and i'd hide it around the house mm-hmm. and you know conceal it and even though sometimes now, usually what like they tell you the fir- one of the first signs is is that when you're when you're hiding it from people yeah. it's usually a pretty good indication there's a you're an alcoholic there's a bigger problem <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> right. so um you know and i was just my mental stability just kept getting worse and worse and worse and there would be times where i would black out and um, my grandma and my ex would describe me just becoming like this other person, almost like a demon-like, um, scary, uh, mm. lashing out with words and saying some really awful things and um, at times getting violent. Uh, I got t- violent towards my ex where I would just like hit at him. Mm-hmm. Um, the one time that landed me in jail was when I actually bit him, came after him and bit him and he called the police and then that's when I was put in jail. And um, it was so. Now, hard. did you have a diagnosis at that point, or were I you did not. you were still kind of I was resistant still kind to? Of, yes, I was totally resistant. Um, he actually didn't want to pay for any sort of uh, insurance for me. He had insurance. The boys had insurance for free through Peach State, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't pay for insurance for me. And apparently, my grandma was telling him over and over, "She needs insurance. She needs help." Mm-hmm. And he just kind of. He knew I did, off, but, but he brushed it off because he didn't want to pay money. Right. And um, so I didn't receive the help I needed until I was put in jail and DFACS got involved and I got free, um, mm-hmm. like, counseling and, you know, stuff for the children, counseling for the kids. And Now, do you think if you had, had gotten the mental help that maybe you wouldn't have resisted as much? Or do you think you still would have kind of fought it? To- uh, no, I got to a point where I knew I wasn't going to be able to handle my life myself at all. <laughs> like, I was going in a very bad direction, and I did want help, but I didn't know how to seek it. Um, mm. I didn't, like, because he made so much money, I wasn't able to get the free help I needed. because So I did pursue trying to get my own insurance, but... Um, the only way was through him or to pay money and right. he, a lot either of money. way, yeah. yeah, and he didn't want to shell that out. So, um, I wasn't able to get any You were kind of caught. This is, and this is slightly off topic, but this is one of my, um, kind of passions or, or long-term goals in life is that I see, I, I want to have almost a non-profit facility for stuff like this because I feel like there's a catch, there's, there's a, a hole in the system where if you make 
too much money or if you make so much money, you can afford the counseling. If you don't make any money, you get it for free. But if you're caught in the middle, you're just left out. Um, and I know that there's, you know, only so many ways around that. But I think that you're kind of a prime example of that of, okay, yes, you make money and they think in theory you should be able to afford it and you should want to spend, you know, $600 an hour on counseling. <laughs> but the reality is you've got two kids at home. You know, you I'm assuming a stay-at-home mom at that point. Yep. You know, things like that to go, yes, it might be in our budget, but is it realistic for us to spend it? You know, but I'm also, I don't make little enough to really fall under that free category. So what happens then? And unfortunately, with a lot of people, exactly what happened with you, you hit that rock bottom state before somebody's like, oh, we should help. Yeah. We should we should do more. They've been begging us for years. Maybe we should actually clue in. And this is just one of the... I don't want to bash the mental health system because, again, it's a very tricky, it's a very tricky thing to manage, and I know that it's very um, overrun with with cases right now, and not as many workers. But there are a lot of holes, and there's a lot of areas that need improvement. I think that that's just one of them, and it's, you know, very disheartening to hear that it is still such an issue. And I think this is probably what 2016 or 2015. Yeah, it was like 2015 ish. Yeah. Right, and I think that even then, that's just when it was starting to be talked about a little bit more. You know, you still didn't hear a lot about suicide and depression and anxiety and all these things. I felt like that kind of maneuvered more around like 2018. Everybody was really starting to open up. So it was very much this negative stigma of, oh, yeah. oh there still is. Yeah. There oh, is. you <laughs> have or you're just being dramatic right. or just chill out. Like, what's your problem? Yeah. Like, we can just fix it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, type thing. Um so you said at that point you did not have any kind of diagnosis when you guys were looking and you kind no. of went to, were you trying to get some kind of control with the alcohol or was it just yes. something that took it away for a minute or um yeah that's actually exactly what um for a while if I drink just a certain amount um I always call it and at this point I didn't know what it was I call it the tornado there was a tornado of not just feelings but emotions thoughts and they were racing through like a tornado in my mind mm-hmm. I couldn't stop um, sometimes I'd be super high energy and I'd be super high energy. So I used to run all the time because it would sometimes get that energy out. But I have, at times I'll have a massive amount of energy and I just, I have to keep moving. I have to do something. It'll make me talk real fast. I'll want to do a whole bunch of things at once. Um, on the flip side, sometimes I can't get out of bed. And I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't manage and I was overwhelmed and I was just feeling completely like crap and I was always very hard on myself no matter what, doesn't matter what state I am. I was extremely difficult on myself and a lot of that was learned from childhood, like past experiences, trauma from there. And um, so I didn't know what was happening. I just had this whirlwind of emotions and thoughts and feelings going through me. I would journal. I journaled without anyone ever telling me to journal. I would write Mm -hmm. it all down because sometimes when I would write it all down, it helped either straighten things out or it just got it out because it was just inside of me like a poison. So Mm -hmm. I had to get it out. Um, I say jail jail helped me because that was the the start of me getting treatment and Mm -hmm. somebody saying, you know what? Um... You have an unstable mood. You need to go see somebody about this. Um, You possibly might need to be medicated. And at Mm -hmm. that point, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what? (laughs) Like, You're crazy. (laughs) What are you talking about? You know, what are you? 
I'm not so that crazy, I right? Know. Right. Even though, like, I would feel crazy. Like, it's exactly. And the thing that scared me most was I realized I was becoming more like my mom because I was exhibiting um, things like she would do mm-hmm. that I saw her do when I was a kid and I didn't understand. And there were times where she made no sense. She would blow up and go crazy and yell or, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you know, I'm sure for her generation, mental illness was not even a oh, yeah, topic no, of discussion. No. You and know. yeah, um, actually, I'm doing a lot of studying now about my illness, and there was nothing, and it is, it's bipolar. I have bipolar type 1, and um, that's like a step below schizophrenia, which my mom was untreated for so long that she is now mildly schizophrenic. Mm. So, um, yeah. It's crazy. Um, I didn't know that those two were, I guess I did know they were connected, but not. That's that's interesting. Yeah, especially bipolar 1. Bipolar 2 is when you don't exhibit as many of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I forgot the one below that where um, you're just feeling more like a wave of the emotions here and there. Mm -hmm. But bipolar 1 is where you just physically and emotionally and go through turmoil at times. They call it manic and depressive episodes. And you can also exhibit mixed episodes where it's both of them happening at the same time. And I think that's where the stereotype comes with, with bipolar because I've always heard um, or I've, I've interacted with a lot of people that are bipolar and they'll tell me that people don't believe them because they don't see this bouncy ball type, well, you didn't just flip a switch. And I said, well, it's not. I think that a lot of people think you have to be happy one minute crying the next, happy one minute crying the next, when really it's more of like a, a roller coaster or waves Wave. where it builds up and you, mm-hmm. you peak at your manic and then you kind of gradually Crushed drop down. down and you're exactly. just dropped at the bottom. And though, like you said, there are those mixed episodes where it's a little bit of both, but I think and you can correct me here, I, I don't have personal experience, but I think it's more often than not that gradual increase and decrease, you know, where you're dealing with it for maybe a week or two at a time, and then you're kind of dropping back down or, you know, whatever the case may be. Is there ever a point where you just kind of feel straight and stable, or do you feel like it's always one or the other? Well, what I've learned and have experienced is if you use substances um, such as alcohol, it will cause the waves to keep going there's no reprieve in between there's mm-hmm. no time in between and i had to do a timeline and i realized that my bipolar actually started when i was about 12 mm. and i didn't even realize that i didn't even know you could start that young because a lot of people say oh it doesn't start till 20. i don't think they'll even yeah. diagnose it until 16 if right. i'm correct like That's they right. won't even ed- entertain the idea right right and um but uh Bipolar and borderline personality disorder are also very closely linked. Border personality disorder has the same stuff like bipolar, except one of the um, big things about borderline personality disorder is a fear of being alone, which I have that as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like straddling a few different things, and that's from the trauma of my childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. So that I straddle a few things, but my bipolar, I could see I did the timeline recently, And it does, like, at first it started every few years. Mm -hmm. There would be a big wave that would happen. But I also noticed that the waves got bigger and bigger and Mm -hmm. bigger as I went untreated. Right. Um, This last episode that I had lasted about three months. Mm -hmm. I'm barely stabilizing. This has been since January. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times it can be um, triggered by events that are happening. So at the time, my kids are getting older, I'm dealing with, a new relationship that is very serious after just 
getting over the divorce that just happened mm -hmm. and going into marriage in December. So I believe that I was triggered from many things in January and I went through a mixed episode because I did use alcohol. Um, alcohol does stimulate mixed episodes and it was a big wave and they can, it's not just a couple weeks. Sometimes it can just be a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of my episodes, they lasted months. They could last a season, mm -hmm. uh, even seasons. Like for me, I come from California. It's very sunny all the time and warm. Um, so moving here and there's actual seasons and I have winter and I winter have to stay in the house. Winter is depressing, right? Super depressing. Like, and I will, a lot of my episodes happen in winter and grandma noticed they happen in March. I don't know what it is about those times in my life, hmm. November, March area, but a lot of my manic episodes have happened. Then she documents too in her book, in her Bible, mm. she writes dates and everything. So my last one lasted... I mean, a good three months, at least mm -hmm. three months. I'm barely stabilizing, but they do have me. I did finally seek treatment. Um, it was a long, a long process of trying to get the right, well, right meds. Well, I just re had to have them re reestablished because they weren't working anymore, and that's what caused last year. Now, and if I'm stable. if I'm correct, a lot of times with bipolar, you do have to continually adjust meds throughout. If, um, yes, and, and it's depressing. It can be really depressing because people with bipolar won't ever be cured. Right. I will, there will never be a cure. Um, when I'm going through episodes, I might have a sleeping pill, like I used to take, uh, trazodone, and it wasn't working. It used to work when I was fine. If I'd mm -hmm. be normal at a level, spanked, yeah. yep, I would, I would be fine, and trazodone worked. But when it wasn't working, I wasn't sleeping. So mm. I would go days and days and days and days with like an hour sleep, you know, very, very little broken, broken sleep. And the longer that goes on, the more it agitates the bipolar. Right. And it more it brings on episodes. So that was definitely happening since January. I wasn't sleeping well. And um, I didn't go to my doctor and let them know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I should have. And that's another thing. You know, we, we have to be on top of our meds. We have to be on top of our, our um, plan to, you know, stay stable and well or else it can come like a you know, thief in the night and just slap you upside the head. All and, of a sudden you know, you're fine and then you're not. Yep, you know? <laughs> you're in the wave again, mm -hmm. you know, and it's an awful, awful place to be. And so I want to I want to back up a little bit here and and think about this in terms of I know you said when you were first married or um, you know to your ex and when you guys you know first had kids and things you weren't in the church you weren't active you weren't really following Christ you weren't doing any of that um, where did you think God was at that point or did you just not care was it just this instance where you had just kind of washed your hands clean of it do you see where he was working now in hindsight to go okay that's where he was. And he was just waiting for me to, to come there. I know you said your grandmother's always been a mm. stabilizing factor. Um, but was it ever even a thought process of maybe we should take the kids to church? You know, maybe we should do this or that. Or was that just so far off of your radar? Um, first of all, my ex and I, we'd been together for 12 years. But we were only married for, I believe, like four? Mm -hmm. Four or five years of that. Um, we had the kids out of marriage. Um, at first I tried to take him to church 
but then he would tell me more of his ideals and everything. And I'm like, yeah, that, I don't know. I just got sucked into his way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I washed my hand of, hands of the church. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with people more and more with people that didn't know God at all. And actually, you know, would blaspheme and make fun of him. I mean, I became one of those people to make fun of God. And uh, the kids definitely weren't raised. The only reason they knew Jesus at all and my little one my oldest he would always go down with my grandma because we always lived with my grandma and um, he would go down and she would teach him about the Bible she would teach him about Jesus that was the only Jesus they were getting though was from Mm -hmm. my grandmother until it was about 2017 when God slapped me across the head and was like come on now you know I am real I realized I'm like you know that first time I ended up in jail I I got on my hands and my knees Mm -hmm. as soon as they took me to my bunk I was like, God, you're real. Um, I need you to come mm-hmm. and do something with my life. And I thought at the time, you know, he's gonna he's gonna save my husband too and my kids and reconcile our marriage and and blah 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 and it's all gonna be great. And that is not at all what happened. When um, I think that's <laughs> that's beautiful that you mentioned that is because one, I imagine your grandmother probably for years just going, Whatever you've gotta do to get her attention, just praying and going, God, whatever it is, spare her life, but please, whatever it takes, you know, something to snap her back into this. And you know, and I think for a lot of people, unfortunately it does take a jail Mm-hmm. jail sentence it does take you know somebody else taking those rights and those privileges away from them to say sorry you you really gone too far here because i think up until that point so many of us think that we've got it under control oh yeah that we, we we're not as bad off these people are being dramatic it's not that big of a deal and then you get into this place where you really have no choice you know you're at that bottom of that pit going uh i either grab a hold of god or i'm gonna be stuck here yeah. for a while kind of thing so i imagine your grandmother going all right lord i don't know what it is i don't want to see her hurt but do what you got to do kind of thing and i love we talk about it a lot at our church um the generations before praying for the generations after them and how so much of that we may not ever see the fruit of you know i could sit here and i could pray for my grandchildren that aren't even born yet um and i may never see the fruit of that and your grandmother may have never seen you know thankfully she did and, and is but may have never seen that but to know that you had somebody so faithful that never wavered and was like I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna keep doing this and I'm gonna keep praying and I'm gonna keep pushing no matter how much she fights back kind of thing I think that that's beautiful but also that you're saying this didn't you know I hit that point and I said I surrender to God and I think so many of us (laughs) when we go all right God it's in your control we then think it's still gonna work out the way we want it to it's going to go A, B, C, D. God, I've got this beautiful plan. If you can just help me put it into place. I've worked it all out. It's going to be perfect. I'm going to go home. He's going to be so excited to see me. We're going to go to church on Sunday. The kids are going to be involved in children's ministry. And it is going to be wonderful. Aren't you on board, God? And meanwhile, God's going, you stay with him and you're going to go right back to where you're at. Yep. Kind of thing. That, that is exactly right. <laughs> you know? And I think, I think that that's what happens to a lot of us. I was speaking on the last podcast and I always want to be careful when talking about divorce because the Bible is, you know, it's clear that divorce is not the ideal. However, I do believe uh, very firmly that God would choose divorce over, um, or he's going to choose salvation over your divorce and your commitment over your marriage kind of thing. So if your spouse is what's holding you back from pursuing God and pursuing ministry and pursuing all these things God's called you to, then there's likely a bigger problem mm-hmm. in place there. Um, I spoke with another woman a couple years ago who was in a similar situation as Erica, and it was a matter of 
there's chains that her husband has placed on her and either he's going to get on board and unlock them or God's just going to break it free and she's still going to be able to move forward and continue to do ministry in her marriage. I think we'll actually be talking to her in a couple weeks. Um, didn't end in divorce as well, but she's now able to do all of these things that she's felt like for years God has called her to do, but would never able to within the confines of her marriage. So I think that though divorce is not the ideal, there's definitely beauty in it in some instances, which is it's tricky to say. And I don't want to say that lightly because I've never walked through divorce. Um, but I don't think that staying together for the sake of not wanting to break a biblical principle is always a good enough answer. And I think so many Christians get that shoved down their throats is that if you get a divorce, you're a sinner and you're just never, you know, you're going to hell. This is all going to happen. And the reality is, is sometimes if you stay in a marriage, it's going to be the death of you literally, you know, physically, spiritually, whatever the case may be. And not even to say that your your ex is a terrible person, um, you know, and I think in a lot of cases they're not. It's not that there's some awful, like, abuser or whatever the case may be, but they're just not what's going to bring you closer to the Lord. And I think that as individuals, each spouse should be seeking Christ individually and that when they come together they should be a stronger force for the kingdom and a lot of times you know that's why they talk about that unequally yoked you Mm -hmm. know you want to have somebody that's running the race with you that's ready to really take that burden and carry it so that you guys can move ahead stronger so my only thing to I say that all that to say that if you're in a situation you know where you feel that your spouse isn't you know I wouldn't even say just not pulling their weight because sometimes in life we have to work, you know, a little harder and other times our spouse will have to pull a little bit more and vice versa. But if they're stopping you and you guys aren't moving forward at all, that may be something to evaluate and really pray about and figure out what your next steps are, whether it be counseling, um, you know, church, whatever that may be. But I just like that you said that it's it didn't <laughs> at all go the way that you had anticipated. And then at what point did you did you actually get your, your diagnosis? Was that after jail or while you were in no no after because i had they sent feed to defects and then they sent the counselor and the counselor that would come to the house she came weekly and she's the one like and it took about a month or two for her to see the wave Mm because i guess i was in the midst of one and she could see oh there's instability here right you need to go here and you need to talk to them and see what they say and as soon as i went and let them know and I'd been to this place, this clinic before, uh, but I thought it was premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which, because uh, it does agitate, especially around my period time, um, mm-hmm. because hormones do play a huge thing, play a huge role in my bipolar, um, and I think a lot of women. Uh, so that's when I was um, diagnosed, when I went back, and I was like, well, this is happening, and it's not during just, you right. know, my period and everything, so she re-diagnosed me, and she's like, you got bipolar one. I was I was more honest. You have mm-hmm. to be honest about what's going on, and what's happening, and how you're feeling. Not just check and, the boxes. Right, right. No, not at all, and the thing about bipolar people, and a lot of times they don't realize they're bipolar, is because they're in denial. They're like, no. I have this, and they have this almost narcissistic, um, you know, personality saying, no, I'm fine. It's everyone else. Everyone else is the one. They don't see that it's not everyone else. It's some sort of roller coaster. Now, do you think that that's due to the negative, um, you know, kind of connotation everybody has about bipolar and the reason people fight it so hard? I do believe 
the way bipolar people are, it gives them a bad stigma and a bad name. Mm -hmm. Um, I know my mom was probably one of those. Um, Because I think about it if somebody went in and said, well, you know, your heart is failing, you wouldn't necessarily try to hide that or fight that. You would treat it. Right. You know, your first thing, okay, well, how do I fix it? And, you know, and yet, and I know that this is another frustration of a lot of mental health professionals is that these are real sicknesses. This isn't just something in people's head. This isn't just a lack of self-control or a lack of discipline or whatever the case may be. This is a real thing. And so when they, you know, do go in and and you try to hide or cover up, you know, that'd be like going into your doctor and faking blood work, you know, and then expecting them to fix whatever was wrong. It's just not going to happen. You know, they're not going to be able to get a real picture of what that is. Now, once you got that diagnosis and they put you on medicine, I know, um, a lot of the church, and this is another topic I want to be, you know, careful with, um, is very hesitant of medication. And, you know, if you just believe, uh, then no. you'll be healed. And I was very much with <laughs> Jesus at this point. I was like, Jesus, you have to take the wheel. But I, I also listened to this one pastor. His name is Pastor Jason Gerdes, and I think he's revolution. He's real close. Mm-hmm. But he also even says, you know, we absolutely need God to take the reins on everything. But when there's, that's why he gives us doctors. Mm -hmm. That's why he gives us, you know, the the, um, tools that we need, the people that are there, the physicians and everything. I mean, you can't just, I mean, we can pray for heart stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on, heart failure or whatever. But I mean, you might want to still go see a doctor. Right. You know, and a lot of the... I believe God gave people brains. Right. And with things like mental um, medicines, it is a tricky, it's a tricky thing because you have things like Xanax or Ambien uh, for sleep or um, anxiety and stuff, but people abuse it. Right. So there is that stigma about the medications and everything, but I know I, I have prayed, I walk with God strongly, but if I did not go back to the doctor and let them know what was happening in an emergency type of way... I wouldn't have gotten the medication I needed to feel stabilized again. Mm -hmm. I would just still be on the roller coaster of my bipolar. And um, it is, it's disheartening to have to take meds. Uh, My husband currently has to take plenty of meds himself because he has severe anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we know that they're just, they're helping us. God provided those things. So that way, you know, we'll be better equipped to be able to help Mm -hmm. God's people and tell our story and, you know, let people know about these stigmas and everything. And when I guess that's just it, when it, or at what point did you become comfortable sharing it and saying, this is just part, this is a piece of me. This is not me, but this is a piece of my story. As soon as Jesus, like, as soon as I got on my knees that day and gave my life back to him, I promised him at that point, use me. You do with my life what you will. I don't, I can't do this. Like, because Mm -hmm. the tunnel I was in, that darkness that people talk about, Mm -hmm. that swallowing just pit of despair, I was there. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to go back there. I thought Mm -hmm. there would never be light again. But as soon as I called on his name, he grabbed me. He grabbed, he he just stuck his Mm -hmm. hand down there and he picked me up and there was the light. And I didn't ever, I'll do anything not to, get not back, to go back, back right. to that darkness. That darkness was so dark. And, you know, I see my ex still there. But mm-hmm. um, we pray for him. Grandma and I keep praying. We all pray for him. They, the kids pray for him because even the kids have faith now. I see what beautiful work 
God has done in my life. It didn't go what I thought it would go. Right. You know, my marriage didn't work out. But at the same time, I got peace, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple places in the Bible. One of them is in Joshua, and then one is in the New Testament, where um, walk with your your spouse if they're mm-hmm. if they're willing if they're willing to live if with you willing. Yep. and hopefully that they will be changed by your um your doing your works doing for god and everything mm-hmm. and um if not if they walk away let them walk away right. if they don't want to be part of that anymore just let them walk away and you, there's no fault for you right. i had to hold on to that because i was scared i was like i know that i'm not <laughs> supposed to get a divorce god this can't be right no you don't want me to get a divorce but he kept showing me those passages and i wrote in my bible I was like, okay, God, I trust you here. I trust you here. And I put dates there and I come across them from time to time. And I see now in the long run, it took years, but it was for the best. And I think that it, it, and this is another thing, again, I'm I'm trying to be very careful here. I don't think that divorce is almost ever a quick decision. And if it is, that it's perhaps not done with the best intentions Mm -hmm. or the right heart. Um, a, a lot of the women that I know that do have that peace after a divorce, sometimes it's years in the making. Sometimes it's, you know, at least several months where they've walked through and they said, God, I have tried mm-hmm. and I have tried and I have tried and I have done everything within my power. And that's I think right. that's one of the only ways to have the peace coming out of it is knowing that you have done all that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've stood when it was time to stand and now it's saying, okay, you know what? I, I can't force this on you. Um, but I can't be a part of it anymore either. You know, I can't, I can't continue to be a part of this. And I love, um, one of the beautiful things about your story and maybe you don't find it so beautiful, um, is that it's not done. Like this is still a daily, you know, weekly, monthly deal for you. Um, I don't know if you're okay with me saying that you, you still go to meetings. Um, you know, you still, you still, you're with your sponsor, I think weekly or even Mm -hmm. more so. Um, and that when you, accepted your salvation and you really got down on your knees that wasn't the end of the hard times like that wasn't god saying (laughs) okay well you're magically never gonna have to worry about alcohol anymore i'm gonna take that desire away and you're never gonna you know you're gonna have this mental struggle and that's okay we'll deal with it but all those other problems they're just gonna disappear and i think even knowing um, you know, how much you do study the word. And I don't think it's a matter of, well, if you just read the Bible for eight hours a day, then you wouldn't struggle. Or if you do this, and I think that there's power in immersing yourself in the word of God and immersing yourself in prayer, but you're still human. And I know for addicts in general, that is a lifelong Mm -hmm. battle. Um, and I think that that's another unfortunate negative stigma is that if you're within the church and you say that I have an addiction or had an addiction, that all of a sudden you must not be Christian, you know, you're a negative influence. When really I think that it's quite the opposite to say this is incredible that you have walked through that and you've been able to walk away. And you know what? Even if you do fall sometimes, there's there's forgiveness in that and there's beauty in that. And I know even just like you said, since January, there's been times I've texted you and you go, today is not the day I need to go see, I need to go see my sponsor. And that I I admire that to me. I'm going, okay, that's her acknowledging that if she doesn't do what she needs to do, this isn't going to end well for anybody, you know, and having to take care of yourself first. But the last thing I want to kind of touch on is the sense of community. So when you came out of jail and you first got that diagnosis, did you have anybody other than perhaps your grandma that kind of walked alongside of you and said, you know, we're going to figure this out together. We're going to walk hand in hand and we're going to work through whatever this looks like. Well, um, 
in various ways and not completely in a church. Um, Grandma was going to revolution at that time. So I immediately went to her church with her. I started getting involved and volunteering um, the, the most that I could, getting the boys involved, taking the boys to church when I could. Um, but I was also forced to put, be put in, um, it's called an outpatient, a, it was an outpatient prog- program for um, addiction. Mm-hmm. So I was in that three days a week for three hours um, per day. And that was for about four months. Mm -hmm. So it was a very, very, and, um, our, our supervisor there, the one who was leading us in the classes and everything, I became very close to, um, he did become my mentor. Um, I have, I also went to this group called Celebrate Recovery, and that was in Holly Springs. All of those people just, like, embraced me immediately. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an AA, but for people that are just all about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So um, everyone really embraced me. I made some lifelong friends there um, that have really even, they were super there for me and Joshua uh, this past couple months when we Mm -hmm. were going through a hard time. And um, and then as soon as I... uh, when my husband, my ex-husband left and grandma and I had nothing and I reached out to generations. I'd already been going there and I'd been baptized, you know, and I think I went to a few of the women's meetings and um, I I sent a message there saying, grandma and I are looking for someone to rent a room and um, so if you guys can get that word out or something because we have no income right now. Right. Because <laughs> I was left <laughs> high and dry. And um, immediately, all of you started, uh, you were one of them that reached out, um, and uh, a few of the people reached out and brought supplies that we need, or gave us money, or were just there for us, praying for us. Mm -hmm. Um, We had lots of prayer, and I know all our family back home was praying for us. Like, I see now, after everything, I can say prayer is extremely, extremely, Do you feel like you saw it at the moment? You know, or was it kind of just a desperation of, I don't know what's going to, like, did you see all these pieces kind of coming together while you were in the eye of this storm Um, of sorts? Or is it kind of as you're looking back now, you're going, oh my gosh, like everything was, you know. Yeah, both. I think I saw it a little bit then. Mm -hmm. I definitely see it way better (laughs) now. You're like, oh my gracious. you're in the midst of it, you're just trying to get through the next day. You know, you're trying to get through it daily. And you don't know what's going to happen because we really didn't. We didn't know if we'd have to sell the house or move back to California or what we were going to do. Grandma and I really had no idea. We had nothing. Right. Like, I had no job at that point. So, um, but we did see the community come in and help, especially mm-hmm. God's people come in and, you know, uh, intercede Which for I us. Love. I love. Yes. The, I love the beauty in that. And it what's really... interesting, um, just kind of looking back on that particular time, and I want to speak to the people that, you know, are a part of that community of faith. Um, we didn't know Erica's story at the time, you know, and there, there wasn't a lot of details that we were familiar with. She had just recently attended the church, and I don't want to toot our own horn by any means, but I think there's there's something to be said about not having to know everything to be that hand of Christ, not yeah. needing to be involved with the nitty gritty to necessarily extend a hand. If you've got the ability to help, or if you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you, give $15. Mm-hmm. It may seem like nothing to you. Be like, what is $15 going to do? It could buy somebody's dinner. Yeah. And I think that 
it, because I actually remember this, and it's funny because I don't remember being a part of helping, but now that she's saying it, um, I remember my co-leader reaching out and going, you know, I'm taking stuff over, and we raised money for something else. I can't remember what we were raising money for. And she said, I feel like we should just send it over there. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever, that's fine. We can do that. You know, but that was before I really knew the story. So it's, it's really cool to me to actually hear the the pieces of that come together because I think that's just a beautiful beautiful institute but it's it's just the manner of being the hands and the feet we don't have to know everything we don't have to agree with the way everything is transpired it doesn't have to make sense to us we just have to be obedient and there's beauty in obedience and there's you know such a cool story on the other side of it 90 percent of the time that that looks so nice uh did you ever have anybody that didn't respond so great when you're like, hey, I have the issues with alcoholism or, you know, I had the addiction and I have bipolar, you know, has it ever had to close doors for you? Um, I mean, God kind of closed those doors that were <laughs> weird about it, like whilst the divorce, like, mm-hmm. so it was really all the people who were, um, that knew my ex and I mm-hmm. and more sided with him, mm-hmm. but those were people that needed to be taken out of my life right because they were toxic they were unhealthy they're non-believers god couldn't have that he's doing a work here mm-hmm. and he couldn't have all that you know infiltrating um i've had some of those people reach out and apologize to me for just leaving me and not saying anything <laughs> right. to me but you know um you know and i'm very thankful for that but those are really the only ones like god has really been faithful to every time i share you know there's somebody else that's like, oh, yeah. We just or, you saw know, that a couple weeks yeah, ago, and it was incredible. Absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was really, really, and it's awesome. He's been doing that with me even. Um, I do Z- Zoom AA meetings, mm-hmm. um, so I can go to different ones. But anytime I hear somebody's story that's, you know, their similarities, I'll reach out to them. And then, like, I was just talking with one yesterday, and she was just telling me everything that was going on with her, and we had a lot of similarities with our divorce. And, and see, there's beauty in that. There's, yeah. And that's just the uses, whole idea yeah, behind this podcast is absolutely. that there is something to share. Exactly. And there is, I, I want to say it's in First Corinthians. I just quoted it this morning, but... Um, where it talks about nothing is wasted. We're not going to sit here and we're going to walk right. through these valleys. We're not going to continue to work and work and work and put in all this effort for God to go, yeah, we're not going to use yeah. that. Um, and I think that a lot of these things are not easy to talk about. They're not fun topics all the time, but it's real life. And I think so often we get caught up in this picture perfect world that nobody wants to admit that they've messed up. And we really don't want to admit when we messed up and go tell somebody else that we messed up because that would, then what would they think? You know, that would be awful. They're going to think I'm a terrible mom. They're going to think I can't handle my life. You know, all of these type of things. And really, in reality, that person is probably going, oh my gosh, if she even knew what I was walking through. And I think that there's so much power so much power in just sharing those testimonies mm-hmm. and those stories. So I guess as we close, my big thing would be for somebody, you know, you've kind of got a few years under your belt of experience with walking through. And like you, you even mentioned, you know, you, you've struggled with alcohol even as recently as January to go, you know, we're not done with this journey. But to somebody who's maybe just now either seeking help or knows they need help or somebody who's newly diagnosed with bipolar or any other mental illness, like, what would you offer them, you know, some kind of advice? Or I know we've talked about the faithfulness of God throughout all of this and how even when you didn't see it, he was there. But to somebody who's kind of scared to take that next step and go, there's a problem and I need help. But what, you know. Definitely don't be afraid to um, seek help. 
specifically for your needs, whether it's going to a doctor or a group or somebody that you know has walked through the same thing, just um, like, uh, like, um, like you just said, we need to be open about it. And I, mm-hmm. I really feel like God's given me that gift because I don't care what other people think. <laughs> Over it. So, like, um, you know, I've always been open about this stuff. It's just part of who I am, you know. And I'm so excited to learn about all of these things, all of my sicknesses and ailments, because then it is, it's, I'm able to share those things with others. And you can be that next person that's mm-hmm. able to learn about it and share it with others because your story is unique and you'll be able to share that with someone else and help them in you know, a way. Um, definitely don't be afraid of meds if you're gonna have to take meds for your illness. Um, don't be afraid to do the daily work because we walk with God daily. We seek his, his grace daily. Um, we have to do the work for our illnesses daily. It's mm-hmm. a daily, daily walk. Don't think too far ahead and don't think about the past because it's gone. Just right. stay in today, walk in today, do what you can today and um, do what you can to, to better your faith and better yourself and better those around you. And I've asked, and, and I love that you actually said you can help the next person behind you because the woman that I interviewed for the episode that will actually air before this one, but she had... Um, mentioned a testimony that she had heard where a friend was walking through a similar situation and she was basically said you know you get this vision of being locked behind bars but once you're set free there's an army of women that come behind you because you're leading the way and this story is often so much bigger than what we are you know our story is going to go way beyond what just affects us if we're willing to share and if we're willing to open up and if we're willing to just be real um and before we're completely done, I've asked this, and I always mean to ask this before I'm recording, so I'm sorry to put her on the spot, but um, if you are walking through this, Erica, are you open if they email me, you know, getting you in connection with Absolutely. them? I want to help anyone I can. I'm open to share more. <laughs> so by all means, um, I will have the email listed in the description of the podcast. If you have any questions, any concerns, um, I've got a degree in a field, you know, so I've dabbled in a little bit of this with the mental health, but am no expert by far but I'm happy to help. I'm happy to answer questions. Erica's, you know, more than willing to have conversations with anybody who may need it. Um, and we're happy to help you find the help. If you can't do it, um, or you need a resource, please reach out. We don't want anybody to get to the point where they're standing on the side of a cliff. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're way too important. You mean way too much to way too many people. Even if it doesn't seem like it today, um, your life is not too far gone. So we want to just make that, that very clear, um, and then I want to thank Erica just for being vulnerable, for sharing, for, you know, kind of showing us her story. And again, loving that it's not done yet and that she's she's still riding through. And I'm sure that there'll be far more to come, just as there has been with all of our guests. Um, that, you know, it may be something we revisit in another six months ago. You know, where are you now? Is this still, you know, it kind of your story? Because one thing they say at our church all the time is that you either have a God story or you're a God story in the making. Um, so I think that it's just, it's going to be a continual deal. So I thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week, I believe. And I am telling you guys all of these schedules before we ever publish a thing. I believe next week we'll be discussing divorce, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Anyways, at some point within this podcast series, you'll hear one on divorce, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you again, Erica, and I will talk with everybody soon.